Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So, uh, during our trip to Tennessee, we had a friend of ours share and he talked about the story of Ezra. You know, Ezra was released by King Artaxerxes to take all the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, who volunteered to go with him to Jerusalem. So that, in a nutshell, we're going to look at some of the scripture on this, but that's kind of the, the essence of the story, is that he was released by the king. You know, so in Ezra 6, it says, the Lord had turned the heart of the king towards them. So how many of you guys know when the king's heart is turned towards you, you're going to have favor. You're going to have good things work out on your behalf. There's going to be zero really restriction as to what you can do when the favor of the king rests on you. So let's look at Ezra 7, and we're going to look at passages 13 through 28, possibly. I may skip a little bit in there because that's a lot of content. Ezra 7, 13 through 28. It's going to be towards the front. If you hit first and second Chronicles, it's right after it. So right there in verse 13, it says, Now a decree, this, this, was a, this was a letter from the king to Ezra, what he promised, what he was willing to do. It says, Now a decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and the Levites, who wish to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. Uh, you are sent by the king and his servants, advisors, to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regards to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you Listen, this, this is what he says you are to take with you. It wasn't, there was, he was withholding nothing. This is what you're going to see from this context. It says, moreover, you are to take with you the silver, the gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, um, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. So who gave those provisions? The king, right? That wasn't what the Jewish people had. That wasn't what Ezra had. That's what the king had that he was giving to take back to worship the God of Jerusalem. So together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the free will offering of the people and the priest of the temple uh, of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy. So the king is telling them, what you, I'm going to provide provision, and he's instructing them what they are to buy. So these, are, these right here are the sacrifices. It says, with this money, be sure to buy the bulls, the rams, the male lambs, together with the grain offering and the drink offerings, and, the, and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. This is a king in a foreign land saying, take all these back. I'm providing all of these for you. Take them back and make sure you honor God with what I'm sending you with. This is a crazy concept, right? This would be like the president of the United States beginning to stand with the church and provide the church with every provision. I mean, this is, you know, because we don't really have kings or queens. You know, we have government officials that dictate. But this would be like every provision made. Make sure you take this. Well, who's paying for it? Well, I'm taking it out of the tax dollars. That doesn't happen, right? I'm taking it out of the treasury. I'm taking it out of the resources that I have to give to you. You and your brother Jews may, may then do whatever seems best for the rest of, with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God and anything else that is needed for, for the temple of your God that you may have occasion to supply. You may provide from the royal treasury. Whatever else you have need of, take it from my storehouse. That's what he was saying. Now I, King Exer... I always jacked his name up. King A. King Arthur. Let's change it so I don't stumble all over it, Okay. He ordered all the treasures of the trans-Euphrates to provide with diligence whatever Ezra, the priest, the teachers of the law, the God of heaven may ask of you. So then he said, up to a hundred silver, wheat, wine, olive oil, salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of God of heaven. Why should there be any wrath against the realm of the kings and his, and his sons? So he didn't want the hand of God to, to come back on him. He blessed them. He sent them off. Also, right there in verse 24, it says, you, you are also to know that you have no authority to impose tax, tribute, or duty on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants, and other workers at the house of our God. Let's stop there. I think we get the picture, right? So what did he say there? 
but all those provisions, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to cause any tax either. Can you imagine that? If all of a sudden your paycheck no longer was taxed, he said, keep it all. Oh, hallelujah, boy. If any of you have you've never paid taxes, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've paid taxes, man, that is a significant amount, right? And it is, a, it, is a, it is how they sustain their stability and all those things. So really, when we, when we walk away from that, they provided all that they had need of and then some. That was, the, that was what the king had released to Ezra and the people of Jerusalem. You know, so when we look at the story, they, they're able to go, they're free to go. So when we were in uh, Tennessee, I had to ask, we had to ask the question saying, God, how does this apply to us? Because it's what he did. He released those people to go to Jerusalem. So what happened, there was a communication made that this is what the king has said, let's all go to the river. So they get to the river, and then Ezra stops, and he looks around, and he says, let me see, he's, he's giving an account of who's there and who's not, right? So when we look at uh, chapter 8, verse 15 through 20, it says that, that I assembled them at the canal that flows towards Avea, and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. Okay, so what he did, he looked back and he said, man, where are the Levites? Because the king had said, I'm releasing all of the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, whoever voluntarily go, I've allowed them to go. Well, Ezra gets there and he says, where are the Levites? So who were the Levites? The Levites were the people that served in the house of God. They were the guys that worked in the temple. The Levites were the ones that were set apart to minister in the house of God. They were the workers. Ezra said, I'm not going without them. So he sent people back and he said, what are you doing? We're all gathered at the river. Come on. So how does that apply to our church? I believe that as of right now, we are, we are rallying at the river. We are at that place of where God has provided every provision that we have need of for the rest of this year, that he's given us direction, he's given us guidance. I feel like there's been a hand of blessing on us, that God has a journey ahead of us, but there's people still missing. Now, you may say, well, what do you mean? We're all here. No, we were all in the church in your heart, right? That we're all in one accord, that we're all pursuing the same things. We talked about unity. We talked about fellowship. We talked about family, all of these things that we are together and we're connected, right? So they went back and they said, come on, what are you guys doing? So God has given us that direction. He's given us... Uh, Areas to focus on. But really, you know, here at Harvest Time Church, in this new season, God is really just asking us to follow him. That's really, that's really in my heart where I feel that we're at as a church. Um, and we are moving and we're all waiting at the river. But we're coming back one more time to plead with you to come to us to come to the river with us. The choice is actually yours to stay where you are. So what do I mean by that? We can stay in a place where we're comfortable rather than where God is taking us. Sometimes it's just because what we're familiar with or what we're used to, well, this is different. Things are changing. Well, I don't know where the church is going. I don't know where the church is going either, but God does, right? Because that's, that's where I feel. I said, hey, I just know that these next few steps is where God has ordered us in the direction that he's taken us. All I'm called to do is be faithful and follow God. And I encourage you guys to follow us, to be a part of what God's doing in the church. So you can go with us and you can fulfill God's plan and purpose for the church this next year. You can be a part of that. You know, Israel sent back word to the workers and said, what are you doing? Join us at the river. God is moving us to a new place, and the favor is, up, is upon us. Let's go. We are waiting for you at the river. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that uh, as we look at your word and, and what it asks of us, God, that, Father, that we would be obedient rather than comfortable. Comfort is something that we... Uh, that we desire to have and we pursue as part of the American dream. But Father, there's sometimes you're calling us to not be comfortable, but, but to be obedient. So Father, as you lead this church, Father, as you have your way in our lives this next year, Father, we, we humble ourselves and we submit to you and we say, be God. 
Father, and lead us in the direction we are to go. Father, that all the provision has been made, Father, and that our confidence would rest in you. Father, we, uh, we choose to follow you. Father, give us ears to hear your voice this morning. Open up the word of God to us, God, that it would penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if we go down to that chapter, that same chapter 8, if we look at verse 21, here's what happened. When they finally all gathered, he, he, he said in verse 21, he says, I proclaim a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. Verse 22, we're going to look at all the way through 23. It says, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we, fast, uh, we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. So what was, what was, he, what was Ezra saying there? He says, he, I didn't, he didn't want to rely on the king to provide protection. He wanted the Lord to do it. You know, the king willfully gave. Why? Because God had turned the heart of the king towards Ezra. But he didn't want to give people a false sense of hope where that the provision was coming from the hand of the king and not the hand of God. He wanted to make sure that God would receive glory and that he would be the protection and the source and the guide as they followed so just like I said earlier, it was the Lord that turned the heart of the king towards Ezra and the people of Israel. And it was going to be the Lord that secured their journey also. So just remember, as I share this story, this is what I'm talking about for our church, that through this year, it's God that secures our journey. It's God that causes us all to walk together in one accord. It's, it's God that holds the church together. It's God that humbles our hearts so that we might have, not have offenses with one another, but that we might glorify him. We think of that passage that says they will be known by their love for who? For one another, right? Not a love for self. If we're going to love each other, man, we got to really allow God to work in our hearts. We go on to see that in that story, it says that uh, when they arrived at their destination, there was no loss among them. So this is really our heart for the church, that we, there would be no loss among us and that the Lord God would secure our journey. You know, in this story, the journey that they were taking to Jerusalem was a dangerous one. There was thieves, there was robbers, there was all of these things. And they said before they left, they counted all, all of the, the gold, the silver, the people, whatever, whatever it was. When they got there, there was zero loss. God had truly secured their journey. The favor was on them. The provision, the protection. That was the two things really was because what did he say? He says, I don't want to ask the king for an army. What do armies do? They protect and they secure, right? But it says when they fasted and they prayed before God, they arrived and protection and provision was established. So just like Ezra declared a fast to secure the journey, we are going to also as a church uh, every year, we uh, in January, we usually do a fast. So if I messed you up this year and we're not fasting in January, uh, we're fasting in February, okay? So uh, I don't want to only encourage you to fast, but it's important to know why we are fasting and what it accomplishes. I don't ever want to say, hey, just do this. Why? Because no, he said do this. No, I don't want to do that. I want to look at, see, what, the word, what does the Word of God say? And are we, are we supporting a biblical stance on it? You know, all through the word, though, we, we, can, we, we can stand assured that fasting is always directly connected with humbling oneself. You know, so that's something that, humbling do, that, that fasting does. It causes us in an act of humbling oneself. Yeah, over and over again, they, were, they humbled themselves by fasting. You know, you hear stories of, you know, where it says, you know, they humbled themselves and they put on sackcloth and they, and they, they covered themselves with ashes. Like all of these things were like the pinnacle of mourning and sorrow and just 
brokenness and humility. You know, you know, sackcloth was this really super scratchy, irritable. Is it is it a wool? It's real. What is it? Bur- like a burlap. But what's the sweaters you wear sometimes that are just itchy and nobody ever wants to wear it? It's like, man, this is just not comfortable, right? It was not intended to be comfortable when they wore this, right? It was something, you know, that reminded them of that they were humbling themselves before God. And, but this is something that we always have to intentionally do. You know, it's not something that uh, we have to make a choice to do it. It's not something that just accidentally happens. So let's look, let's look at Matthew 6 for some clarification on this. Matthew 6, we're going to look at 16 through 18. Matthew 6, 16 through 18, and I'm reading in the NIV. 16 through 18, it says, When you fast, do not look somber, sober like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only the Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So if that's the only context we knew about fasting, so what, what, is it, what does it ask us to do? It asks us to fast. It, it asks us not to do it in a way where... We go to the restaurant after this, say, oh, I'm not eating, guys. Y'all have fun eating. I'm fasting. I'm super religious this morning. You know, enjoy your breakfast. Man, that donut looks great. I'm fasting, though, you know, being over-religious about it, right? Because that comes just out of a heart of arrogance, and it's prideful, and it's, it says what you do in secret, right? It's something, you know, that is, is, is not supposed to be boasted before man, so this morning, yes, I'm talking about fasting publicly, but after this, we'll be quiet about it, right? Um, so it says to do it in, in, a, in a way of humility, not, you know, boastful and, and arrogantly. But it says, when you fast, what does it say? Put oil what? On your head and then wash your face. Because I think even oil, like, you know, when we talk about anointing with oil, what does this represent? We've talked about it more than once. This, this just talks about when we anoint something with oil, it's saying, God, this is yours. This is set apart for you. So it says to take a little bit of oil, put it on your head, and then wash your face. Because what does it look like if I leave oil on my face? Like it did in the Old Testament days, man, I'm talking oil drips down. And it, you'd be covered in oil. You know, So it says to, to anoint with oil and then wash your face and then have the appearance as if you are not fasting and then what you do in secret, God will honor that. You know, so that's what I was challenged to. Like when I was just thinking about fasting, I was like, how many times do we actually anoint ourselves when we go to a place of fasting? Or we just fast and we, we ignore that whole part about anointing ourselves with oil and washing our face? I'm not saying God will not honor it apart from anointing yourself, but it's biblical to anoint yourself with oil and then wash your face, would you say? According to what that scripture says. So I don't, I don't necessarily understand what it releases. What's the difference of this? But if we're honor God at his word... He will prove himself faithful every single time. So when we look at that passage, if we, if we go back in that same chapter, in verse 2, it talks about, so when you give to the needy, when you're giving, and then if we look at verse 5, it says, when you pray. So let me, let me challenge you this morning. There's every single one of us, how many of us give on a regular basis? Most of us, right? Or have you ever given anything? That's something we practice on a regular basis is giving. Tithing offerings, special offerings, giving to those who have need, you know, whatever. We practice giving as a church, right? Okay, then it says when you pray, everybody's prayed willfully or out of default, right? You ever gotten a bad situation? Oh, Lord, help me. I knew I shouldn't have done that, Lord. However your praying happened, we do practice praying on a regular basis, Right? So if we look at those passages, how do they start off? It says, when we talk about giving and we talk about praying, it's something that we tend to do on a regular basis. Uh, and, then, and then we get to that, that chapter because it says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. It says, when you fast, not if you fast, or if you give, or if you pray. It had the same exact conditions. The two had the same conditions as fasting. But how come we give 
and we pray, but we don't fast. It's the most difficult of the three. A promise. If you've never fasted, you're going to learn today, baby. That's all I can tell you. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we avoid it, right? So we have to make giving and praying a priority, but we have not practiced fasting with the same discipline. We just haven't. You know, I'm guilty of it myself, man. I've prayed and I've given a whole lot more than I've fasted. How many of you here this morning have never fasted? Be honest with me. So I've never done that. I've just never practiced it. Okay, a few of you. When we look at Mark nine, fourteen through twenty nine, uh, let me just paraphrase that for time. It talks about how uh, there there was a, there was a man with an unclean spirit. And you guys have probably heard the story. It says that they brought the man to him. And uh, he came to the disciples, you know, and, and he saw them disputing. You, Jesus showed up. He's like, what's going on? You know, and immediately he saw them and they were greatly amazed, you know. And everybody ran to Jesus, you know. You know, and I don't know why Jesus always asks, what were you discussing? He knows what they were discussing, I don't know if he's doing that to see, are they going to be honest? Or are they going to lie to me? I mean, what was the test there, right? Jesus knows everything. You know, he says, he says but the, the, the individual, the, the, I guess the parent or whoever it was, you know, he said, teacher, I brought, brought you my son. He has a mute spirit. It seizes him. It throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth. You know, he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. You know, this is what he's telling the story. I spoke to your disciples, you know, and asked them that they should cast him out, but they could not. So this was a whole nother level, right? You know, so then Jesus asks, how long has this been happening and all of this stuff? Uh, you know, but Jesus throws a comment in there before he explains to them why it would not come out. So Jesus said to them in verse 23, it says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, so the father yells out, he says, Lord, I believe, please help my unbelief. You know, so, so it, was a, it was a faith thing, right? It was, it was, a, it was a lack of faith. So in verse 20, 25, he commands the spirit to come out, it comes out. And in verse 29, it says, this kind can only come out by, noth by nothing but prayer and fasting. So my challenge to you this morning would be that what does fasting do? It kicks our faith into another level. You know, because every other time, the, the disciples, I'm sure, were successful. This was not the first demon they tried to cast out. They were known for that. They were known for walking in faith you know, but that their faith was limited due to not fasting. You know, so it's always awesome when God gives us the key of what's with, that's, that's keeping a door closed in our life in order to walk to the next level. He says, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, some of us, we're still going to give, we're still going to pray, and we might fast. But if we desire our faith to go to the next level, that can grow through fasting. And if we want to function in an unlimited capacity, fasting is a requirement. How often? I don't know. Only God knows. As He leads you to fast, fast. When he, same thing, right? When He leads you to give, give. When He leads you to pray, pray. If He leads you to fast, please fast. But fasting was the key. But he stated that fasting was the requirement to remove the spirit. It was the key that unlocked the next level of faith. So when we look at a fasting, we got to remember that fasting is something that is essential to our spiritual walk with Christ. It's something that should be practiced when you fast. Fasting, you know, is something where we humble ourselves. Psalms 35, 13 says, I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting. When we fast, we are physically choosing to crucify the flesh. The moment you, we begin to stop eating, you know what the body says? 
Pastor Daniel from Brazil taught me this one. He said, when you begin to fast, your body says, I am going to die immediately. Just think about it. When we say, I'm not going to eat, what do you mean I'm not going to eat? I can't eat. I'm not going to eat. So in your brain, you're freaking out because we're so used to eating. And then your body really says, I am going to die. I can't survive without the next meal. Well, this guy can, I promise. (laughs) Right? You're not going to die. What does it do? It causes our flesh to be crucified. And if we can dictate to our flesh that we are in control by our spirit man, and we can cause our flesh to be under submission, there's nothing that we can't overcome in our lives. You talk about sin, you talk about pornography, you talk about adultery, all of these wicked sins, they're battles of the flesh. Drugs, alcohol, they're battles of the flesh and the mind. But if I can cause the, the body to be crucified and, and, and I submit it to the power of God and I, my spirit dictates what the flesh walks out, not the other way around. Because if we walk in the flesh, we'll live by the power of the flesh. When we tap into fasting, it all of a sudden rattles everything in the flesh and says, flesh, you will submit to the spirit. And what does your flesh say? I am going to die. And it doesn't like it. And it fights you to every degree. Rumbling stomach, growling. Shut up, stomach. You don't dictate to me. But I dictate, dictate to you when you eat. We don't live like that. When we're hungry, oh, man, get in the hamper, you know, look for the snack, whatever it is. Immediately, we're not even that hungry. Sometimes we just graze eat, right? It's not even dinner time. Hey, what kind of snacks? I do it all the time, man. It's horrible. But, but we, tell, we tell our flesh, it, it, we, you are not in control. So fasting is, is, is crucifying the flesh, and it supercharges the spirit. It causes the flesh to decrease and the spirit of God inside of us to increase and the spirit within us to increase, and that partners with the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, we start hearing God. Man, how, how the heck? I fasted. I don't really know what was going on. All of a sudden, I could hear the voice of God clearer than I ever have. It's because I crucified the flesh. And I put it into subjection and submission to the Spirit of God. You hear all kinds of stories when people fast. Man, I just sense this heightened awareness to the, to the voice of God. As I began to read the Word of God, all of a sudden it was clearer to me. When the flesh or the soul begins to die through fasting, the Spirit can take control and it becomes more dominant in our life. Because physically, we're not completely killing ourselves, right? But we are causing our flesh to die by withholding something that it really needs to survive. Think about that. We really need food to survive. You know, we will die for lack of food. Some of us, it'll take longer, right? But that's really what happens. If we withheld food and we withheld water, we would die. Those are things that we have to have, basic needs. And it causes our flesh to shake when we don't give it what it wants. The flesh is super, super stingy and selfish. It wants what it wants. You guys ever testify to that? You deal with something in your life, it's like, why can I not shake this? Because the flesh wants it, but we're fighting in the flesh. We're not fighting according to the spirit. And we got to change that. And one way that we can really enhance the power and the potential of the spirit within us is to fast. Fasting breaks the normal cycle and it dictates to the body that your spirit is in control. And I can promise you that the body will begin to make a fuss literally and immediately when you begin to starve it through the power of fasting. But fasting really tells your flesh who's in charge. So here are some, uh, some times that the, in the Bible where fasting was applied. Y'all have that slide available? So I'm going to cover these, and man, there's, there's tons of resources out there. So examples in the Bible where fasting was used. So to prepare for ministry, you guys ever done that? I mean, you know, we pray all the time, right? We're preparing for ministry, we're worried. God, please show up. You know, if God, if you don't show up, I might as well sit down, right? We get nervous, you know, so preparing for ministry. So who in the Bible fasted when he was preparing for ministry? Jesus did, right? So Matthew 4, 1 through 17, Mark 1, 12 through 13, Luke 4, 1 through 14. So Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness fasting and praying before he, he began God's work here on the earth. 
He needed time to be alone for with his father and, and, and to figure out what God was calling him to do. So he prayed and he fasted. The second time is to seek God's wisdom. So when we look at Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas prayed and fasted for the elders of the church before committing them to the Lord. So to seek God's wisdom, that's sometimes we fast to ask God, what is the right choice? You know, sometimes we pray, God, am I supposed to have this job? Am I not supposed to have this job? Am I supposed to leave my job? Well, those guys fasted and prayed. They just didn't pray. So if you're having an issue and you don't know the next step and you've only prayed, I'd encourage you to pray and fast. Maybe that clarity will all of a sudden come. Because I really think, what is that battle? In the flesh. Well, that's a pay cut. That doesn't make sense. You're going to lose your benefits. You're not going to be able to provide for your family. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Because we're fighting in the flesh, right? But what happens when we crucify the flesh through fasting? Then we begin to hear the spirit. And then we know what to do because we're not being dictated by the flesh. That's the ultimate thing that fasting does. It crucifies the flesh. So when we need to seek God's wisdom, when we need to know what to do next, to show grief, it says, Nehemiah mourned, fasted, and prayed when he learned that Jerusalem's walls had been broken down, leaving the Israelites vulnerable and disgraced. Nehemiah 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. To seek deliverance and protection. So when we look at Ezra, that passage that we covered initially, it says that he, de- he declared a corporate fast and he prayed for a safe journey for the Israelites that they, w- and this, this is really cool, it says that they, would, that they would be able to make their 900 mile trek to Jerusalem. Man, that's a long way to go without losing a kid. I mean, they didn't travel in a vehicle, they just walk in and... Where's Jim Bob at? Man, I don't know. I saw him over there on the the last 200 miles back. It's crazy, right? But they prayed and they fasted and and they had zero loss. So for deliverance and protection. The next thing, to repent after Jonah pronounced judgment against the city of Nineveh. The king covered himself in sackcloth and he sat in dust. Then he ordered the people to fast and pray. And then Jonah 3.10, it says that when God had saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that these guys kind of changed the mind of what God was initially going to do through prayer and fasting? It's exactly what I'm telling you. They repented. And they took it up a level, not just repenting easily and said, God, I'm sorry. But they repented, they prayed, and they fasted. To gain victory, Judges 20, 26, after losing 40,000 men in battle in two days, the Israelites cried out to God for help. And it says that all the people went to Bethel and they sat and, and were weeping before the Lord. They also fasted a day until the evening. Well, the next day, the Lord gave them victory over the Benjamites. They didn't just pray, but they fasted also. And and this last one, to worship God. Luke 2, it it talks about a a prophetess named Anna. Luke 2, verse 37, it says, She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Anna was devoted to God, and, and fasting was one of her expressions of love to him. So all through the Bible, you know, and there's, there's more than that. You know, this is just really exposing us to the, the power of prayer and fasting, different things that it applies, different, different areas where it applies and that it, that it causes change to happen. You know, John Piper, he has a quote, he, he, he says that the absence of fasting is the measure of our commitment with the absence of Christ. We get, we get comfortable, we get satisfied with our relationship with Christ, and we're just okay. I'm going to read this other part to it. I was going to withhold, but I'm going to say it. He continues to add, he says, If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestations of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we have nibbled so long at the table of this world. Our soul is stuffed with the small things and there is no room for the great. We've become so satisfied with the things of this world and so overwhelmed with just chasing the things of the flesh 
that we no longer desire the things of the Spirit. And through this time of fasting, I pray God changes that in us. That as we fast, that our hunger and our appetite for the things of God radically changes. But if we're at that place, the best tool of humbling ourselves is what? Fasting. When we fast and we pray, it does all of the prep work in the spiritual realm. And then we can easily walk it out in the natural. So we have to just, just visualize this, man. You know, there's, there's angelic angels and there's demonic angels and they're at war. And when we begin to pray and we begin to fast, it releases God to allow his angels to take back that which the enemy is stealing and destroying in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our children. It begins to change things in the supernatural that we have nothing that we know about. I don't think we always know the, 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 the deep impact that fasting will accomplish. But if we never do it, man, we'll never tap into it. But we have to understand that when we, when we battle in the spiritual, man, then we can walk it out in the natural. Just like Ezra. He said, let's pray and let's just submit our path to God. And I mean, I don't know if he was confident or he was like, perhaps we'll have no loss. Or I don't know if his faith rose. I'm, I'm believing that his faith rose to the place that said, God will sustain us. God will protect us. God will be our source and our provision. And then he walked forward. We have to learn to pray and battle through fasting before and then. We have, to, we have to learn to pray and battle through fasting before the war even starts, and that will ensure our victory. Do you guys hear that? We have to pray and fast before the war even begins, and that will ensure our victory. We allow God to fight by His Spirit. We have to allow God to be our protector and our defender. We have to realize that we're pretty helpless without Him. And not be arrogant and prideful and say, oh, well, we're doing a great job because of this. Or, hey, our church is being blessed because of this. we got to give God glory for what he's doing and what he's accomplishing. You know, I have people tell me, I was like, hey, I heard things are going pretty good at church. I was like, yeah, God's doing some pretty awesome things. Don't, please don't look at Becky and I. You look too close, we're going to fail you at some point, I promise. But we just put all the pressure on God and say, God, do what you want to do. Because God is up to something good in this church. He desires all of us to be a part of it. During this time of fasting, I would really like all of us to pray in agreement over the plans that God has for our church this, this upcoming year. You know, pray that Harvest Time Church will continue to be molded and reflect what is in God's heart for our church. That's been the biggest challenge for Becky and I, saying, God, what do you want this church to be? What is the church supposed to look like, God? Help us not to have our own idea, our own plan, our own steps to success. Hey, here's our five steps that are going to be successful, you know? Like, no, we want God's heart. We want God's plan, and we want the church to be modeled after a biblical model. I've said that over and over and over again. Even if I don't like it. You think I like fasting? I would I don't really like fasting. I love to eat. So everything in my mind's like, God, why? Okay. I'd rather be obedient than comfortable, right? I tell you guys, we're going to be uncomfortable if we fast. Also allow yourself to be humbled through fasting and ask God for specific guidance for you personally in the areas where God may be asking you to grow, to change, or possibly repent. You know, when the Spirit begins to just increase in our life, He begins to identify and point out things in our life that aren't godly and aren't right. God willing, we respond correctly. You know, and at that moment, maybe we got to remember, Jesus loves me, this I know. When that Spirit is bringing a hard reprimand or He's bringing a correction or He's, he's calling you to change something that, that maybe you're comfortable with. And maybe you've been comfortable with it for a long time, but God says that has to go if my glory is to be revealed in your life. And I think it, maybe initially it's just the initial choice saying, God, I surrender that to you. I give that to you. I'm incapable to change it without you. I choose you, God. And then we allow God to remove that. 
It's not something we fight in our own strength. That's the thing we have to understand. This fasting, it's something that releases the spiritual to work in our life. It causes the flesh to die and the spirit to be magnified and released in every area. And sometimes we don't even realize, you know, the benefit we're going to get out of it. As you fast, you'll have an increased sensitivity to, the, to God's presence and his voice. Talked about the importance about hearing the voice of God. Something that we got to have especially if we need specific direction. I'll tell you what, guys, I need it to lead this church. I can't do it without it. You know, and, uh, and I really believe that, you know, just like I'm challenging you, God, God is challenging Becky and I. You know, we were talking about, what are we going to fast? What are we going to do? There's a lot of fast you can do, right? Uh, make sure you take care of yourself health-wise. You know, don't put yourself, you know, I'm going to quit taking all this. I'm going to quit taking all my medication. And then I got to go see you in the hospital, <laughs> right? <laughs> what are you doing? I was fasting, no? <laughs> Idiot. What are you doing? No, we got to take care of ourselves, right? <laughs> we don't want to have all those stories, right? We got to ask God for wisdom and what to fast. And me and Becky were throwing the, some ideas around. And she goes, well, that's not going to be that easy. And I was like, I know. <laughs> that's the whole point. You know, which, you know, there's a tolerance because it's like, God, go all in or go kind of, hey, you know, I won't eat broccoli for the rest of the month. I don't need broccoli anyway. Yes. You know, no vegetable, no vegetable fasting. Got that one covered, right? It's not always about being easy or or convenient, but we got to ask God for wisdom because I can't tell you, hey, you're required to fast just like this. We need to ask God, uh, and, I, and I believe that he's going to speak to us quickly because I would really like everyone to begin the fast tomorrow. I said, man, I can't call a fast right now. Super Bowl be the worst Super Bowl party ever. <laughs> so we're going to do a final, final farewell to all the, the fleshly love of food. And, uh, and, but we're going to ask God to guide us and direct us. And if God asks you to do a specific thing, he can give you the grace to sustain it. Do you hear that? If he leads you in a specific way, I'm going to say that God would release supernatural grace. We're like, man, God, I don't know if I can do it. Is that, is that really what you're asking me to do? Yes, it is. Well, then I, I'm believing that he would re- release grace and the ability to do that. You know, I am confident that God has given us direction for this year. Uh, and, and if we will now take time to fast in regards to that direction, God is going to cause all kinds of goodness to work out in our favor this year. You know, uh, I guess, I don't know if I did it backwards or not or what, you know, but sometimes we fast forward direction, but I believe that God has already shown us a lot of the direction of where we're going. Now we're just setting that into motion and we're surrendering it to God and say, here is our plans. Here's what we believe that you've put in our heart, God. Now order our steps. That's really what it's saying. Because if God wanted to mess everything up and say, hey, go left here. Yes, sorry guys, we're going left. So we're submitting those, those plans to God. So in regards to fast, there's, there's multiple kinds of fast that you can do. In the back, I've printed out a bajillion copies. So please take one. <laughs> Next year, I hope we're all digital. I can send you a PDF. You can click on it, open it on your phone. Me and Samuel had papers spread out everywhere, trying to get bundles and piles. I was like, man, we need to not make any more copies ever right? But there's the big packet talks about uh, how, to pre- how to fast, how to prepare yourself, what to do, what not to do, how to take care of yourself. It talks about praying. It talks about, hey, you know, scriptures to encourage you. It, it breaks it down a lot more specific. So if you've never fasted, make sure you get that. Then there's another handout back there that talks about uh, another kind of fast is a Daniel fast, which that talks about how no choice food did I allow myself to take. So that really comes down to like eating beans, nuts, vegetables, fruit, the grace of God fast, right? You know, so there's some guidance to that Daniel fast if that's something you're wanting to do. And then there's also a partial fast, which means maybe God will just lead you to one thing. Maybe you love Dr. Pepper. Maybe you love sodas. And God says, I want that for the next 21 days. And if that's what he leads you to, do it. And then the fourth kind of fast that, uh, that we do is a, uh, a sacrificial, a fast of sacrifice. So what does that mean? That means 
Facebook. That means internet. That means Netflix. <laughs> so I shouldn't always get mad. Like, I ain't giving that up. I'd rather starve. You know, I don't know. <laughs> to, to each their own, right? But there's something that, that is covered in that packet that I really, really liked. You know, because I've always, I've always fought. I said, God, is, is, do we need to fast physical food? Do we need to fast something? Is that biblical? Is that okay? You know, but it talks about even when we fast food to begin to silence the background noise in your life. That means to remove yourself from those things that are polluting your spiritual focus. So what does that mean? That means even though you fast food, God may still tell you, hey, turn that Netflix off and seek me. Get off of Facebook and seek my face. Because it doesn't matter if we starve ourselves, but we pollute ourselves with the world. In this 21 days, I said, oh man, you know, I was super hungry, so I was watching Netflix. I was on Facebook. I was doing all of these other things and, and not leaning on God and not causing our spiritual focus to be, to be encouraged and to be our heightened sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. So I'd encourage each of you to be a part of, of our corporate fast. Ask God what you are to fast. And then ask God for the grace to do it. If you mess up and, you know, I mean, I know I've been fasting before and I'm like, I'm supposed to be fasting sweets or something, right? And I was like, Skittle. And I was like, oh no, spit the Skittle out. Like, you know, just habit. <laughs> you know, pantry grazing. I grab something that's already like, oh no, I can't eat that. Make sure that it's not so judgmental that, it, that, that you hate it. You know, allow it to be a blessing. Try to honor God with it the best that you can. There's grace. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, no way I applied that grace. I didn't fast at all. God forgave me. <laughs> Don't apply that much grace, right? You know, whatever God leads you in, make sure that, you know, he guides that decision, he gives you grace, but that you at least try. And uh, I think God, if God instructs you to do something, it's probably because you can handle it. Jeremy? We also have to know that, that fasting is not just a, hey, good, I get to start a diet today. Or, hey, I'm, I, you know, that's not what it is. It's not a diet. It's not a let's lose weight. I mean, now that might happen depending on what you cut out of your life for 21 days, right? But, it, but, it, but it, it's choosing to take something out and focus on God. It's removing something that's causing, you know, the flesh to die, and for the spirit to increase. We have to remove that background noise from our life of where we cannot hear the voice of God. So gave you guys some things corporately as a church to pray for and ask God for. Also gave you guys some specifics for personal stuff, like say, man, God, help me with this. I really believe that, man, you know, if there's been areas you've been dealing with or struggling with, prayer and fasting has the power to break that off of your life but we've got to be obedient to what God is leading us to. There's also back there a, a handout for your kiddos. Uh, there's some really good pointers on there. Like uh, Becky and I have really been talking about our whole family being a part of it. Now, I'm not going to make them probably fast like I'm going to fast, but there is something I think that's also relevant for our children to be intentional with, but let's guide them. If we ask them to fast, it's just like, well, okay, I guess I'm gonna go outside and play instead of watching a movie. No, we're not watching a movie so that we can seek God. It's not just replacing one for the other. It's like, well, he didn't say Netflix. I'm going to the movies. It's not replacing one for one. It's, it's sacrificing an area so that we can focus on God. That's the whole point of it. So don't be just so distracted, being so busy, doing all of these things that we sacrifice and we, re, we, we lose the spiritual benefit because I really believe that's what God wants. But my heart is that uh, after you fast, if you've never fasted, that, man, you would just see the, the blessing it is to fast rather than the difficultness or the, it's going to be hard. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. No, it's going to be spiritually rewarding physically, maybe hell on earth for you. Because you're like, man, I got a headache. I mean, think about it. If we drink caffeine all the time, we cut caffeine out, now what? I got a headache. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm jittery. Like, I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, we're talking about cutting stuff out that we, all, that we live on. So we just would believe that the grace of God would be released to each of you as, as we're obedient to how God leads us. So you know, I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, if 
you're willing to commit to us or if you're praying about it, I just, uh, me and Becky, I asked Becky, I said, wait, what, were your th- what are your thoughts about asking everybody to come up and, and get anointed with oil before they leave? And, and that was a challenge because I was like, well, I mean, I, that's what the Bible says. I mean, I guess we better do it, you know, or do we not? Or, well, then what if we anoint them and they, and they feel like, well, now I got to fast because Noah anointed me. I got to fast now. Like, can't do one without the other. Remember what anointing oil does. It just symbolizes that, hey, this person is yours, God. It sanctifies that this is the seal that the Holy Spirit would just rest on, that, that would anoint, that he would protect. So there's more things than it's just, oh, I got to fast now. No, that's not what it's all about. But being biblically correct, it says, when you fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face, and then fast and seek my face. So this morning, if it's, if it's in your heart, you guys stand up with me. If it's in your heart or you're right on the fringe, I guess I would encourage you to get a little bit of anointing oil on your forehead anyway. It's not going to hurt anything. Uh, we do pray over this oil, and that's what makes it effective. Just like the communion, this morning before we gave the communion, we, we set it apart, we sanctify it so that it would be effective in its work. Apart from that being set apart, it's just olive oil. There's nothing doesn't do anything with its, with its own power. But through the symbolism of what we are doing and the obedience of what we are doing, we ask God to honor it. Now, if you are completely against that and you say, hey, well, I'm going to have to read that for myself, hey, I'll anoint you next week. Just work that out. So I'm just going to encourage you, if that's something that you want to do this morning, if you want to be a part of that, uh, I'm just going to invite you up, and uh, we're just going to put a little bit of oil. We're not going to just douse you. But we're just going to ask that God would honor his word. He would honor our obedience. And that through this next 21 days, God would just establish everything. So what am I saying this morning? Meet me at the river. We're all here. We're all a part of this. Come and meet with us. Because God wants to take us on a journey. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.